Hey, Kev, let's let's follow this trail over here. This looks like there might be something waiting down there. All right. Hey, wait a minute. Do you hear that? Yeah, I thought it was just me. What the heck is that? I don't know what that is. Whoa, do you smell that, too? That's unbelievable. Hey, look. What the? Hey, look, those, those branches are moving over there. What the heck is that? Holy cow, is that what I think it is? Look at that thing. It, oh my god. It's a freaking Sasquatch. Welcome to the Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters podcast. I am your host, W.J. Sheehan, author of the series Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters, 10 volumes available in paperback and ebook at Amazon, and in audio format, 9 volumes at Audible, Amazon, and iTunes as well. So go out, buy a couple of copies, and support the effort. And now, may I introduce you to my brother and co-host, KJ Sheehan. Kev, how are you? I'm doing all right, Bill. I'm fresh back from Canada, up in Ontario, where unfortunately the whole place looks like it's on fire. I, I meant to ask you that, and you opened up with that. They were smoked out where you were? Oh, my goodness. It was... There was so much smoke, it was unbelievable and just not fun. And uh, I got to go back this week into Great. the fires. Oh. I'll be looking along the side of the road for a, a Bigfoot running out with a respirator or maybe a shovel <laughs> from forest fire, forest fire fighting. Only you can prevent forest fires. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Remember the old Smokey the oh, Bear? Yeah. yeah, with the shovel. Public service message. Up there, you it's know? Bigfoot with a shovel. Yeah, yeah. Out so of it was my super, way. Super smoky, and uh, yeah, you couldn't see the sun a lot. And I guess the the other night they even called off a Yankee game because it was so smoky. Yeah, and uh, LaGuardia uh, shut down all incoming aircraft. Well, uh, because of a uh, lack of visibility. Yeah. So I don't know where these people were circling around, or maybe they went back where they came from and sat down somewhere else for a delay. They probably diverted them to San Francisco instead. <laughs> hey, this isn't Newark. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it's the closest we could get. Maybe you could get a rental car. Yeah, get an Uber. <laughs> <laughs> Across the country. Uh, yeah, we got uh, some Awesome photographs were taken uh, during the day that we were really smoked out of uh, some places in the city. Like there was one of the Brooklyn Bridge and it was awesome. It looked like it was CG or something. Mm. It was enveloped in this orange fog and the far end of the bridge just kind of disappeared into it. You know, just some really... One was of the Statue of Liberty sitting out in the harbor entrance there. And all you could see was the the outline of the statue. No water, nothing behind it, nothing in front. Just really uh, surreal mm. uh, to see. It was a freaky deaky uh, day for sure. Wow. 
Yeah. Very so, cool. Uh, I'm surprised they let you land. Uh, uh, what are they doing about the fire? Is, uh, is any of this getting under control? I think they're making progress. But if you look at their, you know, folks, if you Google it, it is interesting. And it is related to some hairy men because Canada is such a hot spot. No pun intended. Mm-hmm. But uh, when you look at the government maps of the fires across Canada, you can, you can, if you Google it, fires in Canada, you'll come to this government site, Canadian government site, and you can pick on the size of the fire. And even if you pick, I did a couple of days ago, on the biggest fires, it's like there are fires from Nova Scotia in the east to Vancouver in British Columbia, and almost... Everywhere in between, except for like the Great Plains, right in the middle. Wow! Yeah, it, it, the whole place is on fire. Like that's unbelievable. And apparently, Nova Scotia like never gets fires because so it's kind of cold and foggy up there on the frigid North Atlantic. And uh, mm-hmm. when it does catch on fire, it's all these tall, majestic pines, you know, that just go whoop, mm-hmm. up in mm-hmm. flames. So. Uh, Hopefully they'll uh, they'll get it get it under control. Amazing, man! Really yeah. uh, crazy. So let's take a side trip into our cryptids in the news and other oddities. Yes, segment. yes. And uh, usually, folks, you know, you guys that are regular listeners, you know that my, I I rarely tell my brother what I'm going to talk about unless I want him to look at a story ahead of time, ahead of the call. So. This morning, I did tell him, uh, hey, what I'm going to talk about, check out the story. Um, and I am, we're going to go to the skies and to someone's backyard as well, where on April 30th, so not too long ago, there were a lot of sightings of a UFO or UAP, probably more appropriately a UFO, and some large alien creatures Around Las Vegas, and I don't mean in the casinos. Yeah. <laughs> hey, this chair isn't big enough. They're always there in the casinos. There's, cre- <laughs> There's always creatures there. <laughs> ay, 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 ay. Yeah, but it's pretty, pretty interesting. So let's let's go to the news. So this report comes primarily from KHOU Channel Eleven one of the channels out there in the Vegas area. And, uh, you know, it says that the headline is UFO and large alien creatures reported in Las Vegas and police took it seriously. Mm -hmm. So they say it's around midnight on April 30th when a Las Vegas family reported something crashed in their backyard and there were very large creatures on board. And they go through an interview. So, uh, you know, they say that calls about large aliens and UFO sightings might normally be written off by police as pranks, right? After all, it is Las Vegas. Um, But uh, body camera video and 911 calls released by the Las Vegas Police Department show why the officers who responded to the call were very nervous. So they say it was late night, April 30th, when a Las Vegas family reported that something crashed in their backyard and there were big creatures on board. So so they say, you know, the quote is like this. There's like an eight-foot person behind it and another one inside of it. It has big eyes and it's looking at us. 
And yes, it's still there, one family member told the 911 dispatcher. I swear to God, this is not a joke. It's actually, and they pause, and they said, we're terrified. Mm. And the 911 dispatcher <coughs> says, so there's two people? There's two subjects in your backyard? Correct. They're very large. They're like eight, nine, or ten feet tall. They look like wow. aliens to us. Big eyes. They have big eyes. I can't explain it. And big mouths, the caller replied. They're shiny eyes. They're not human. They're 100% not human. Unbelievable, huh? Yeah, so then in parallel, right around the same time, Las Vegas Police Department, and they posted this, and I'll put it on our website, BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com, um, Las Vegas Police Department posted uh, the body camera footage from one of their police officers that shows this bright green light streaking across the sky, which appears to be pretty low, and going towards the area where this was reported, mm -hmm. right? So pretty wild. And then the American Meteor Society, right, an official site, they said they received 21 reports about the, uh, you know, the uh, glowing object moving across the sky from Arizona, California, Nevada, and Utah, mm. all around the same time. Interesting, huh? Yeah, yeah. So the, the police officer that was sent to the family's house, his quote is, I'm so nervous right now, one is heard saying on the body camera. I have butterflies, bro. I saw a shooting star, and now these people say there's aliens in their backyard. So the officer, yeah. here's the conversation between the officer and the witness. What did you see? It was like, it was like a big creature. And the officer says, a big creature? Yeah, more than 10 feet tall. And the officer says, I'm not going to BS you guys. One of my partners said they saw something fall out of the sky, too. So that's why I'm kind of curious. Witness, get this, Bill. I don't believe in this stuff, but what I saw right now, I do believe in it. <laughs> <laughs> and the officer says, you guys seem like legit scared, so I don't blame you. And then the officer said, if those nine-foot beings come back, don't call us, all right? Deal with it yourself. <laughs> <laughs> all I got is a nine mil <laughs> and a club. Yeah, yeah. Wild, right? Yeah. You know, now, I looked at the video a couple of times. What was going through the sky to me was blue. Yeah, it's like bluish green kind of, yeah. Well, the, the, the point I'm going to make, though, makes a big difference. Because, you know, I'm thinking of what burns blue. Okay. Uh, so you have, like, uh, copper chloride, hydrochloric acid, alcohol. Uh, then you have, like, your, your gases like ethanol, or butane, propane, methane, even natural gas. But then I was thinking about meteorites. So if a meteorite comes through the atmosphere, like just say it was primarily made of uh, calcium, yeah, that would burn like purple or violet color. If it was like magnesium, it would be green or teal. But this thing, in the one frozen image, there was one isolated image uh, from the body cam 
and it almost had a little bit of shape to it. Yeah. But, you know, when you see it coming across, first of all, it didn't appear to me to be going all that fast. Yeah, it was moving. No, but it didn't but, whip across the sky, right? Right, which typically a meteorite that we see from Earth is just like a streak. Phew! And uh, the other thing was there was a a ring doorbell camera they had that recorded a sound. Oh, I didn't see now, that Now, yeah, they said the sound, uh, to me, Kevin, I mean, the sound sounded like a train wreck. Okay, it didn't sound like that sound you just made? Yeah. No, <laughs> not like that. It sounded like a train wreck. Uh-huh. And the reason I'm disconnecting that, I don't know what that was. Right. Uh, but they said that this, they first of all, you saw the overhead picture. It was like a drone shot in the daytime of those concentric rings in the guy's backyard I did see that, yeah. Now, look, if something had crashed like a train wreck... Oh, yeah. Unlikely these things are going to be walking around in the yard and certainly not leaving. Right. So I don't don't know what they recorded on the uh, ring doorbell cam, Uh, but if this thing came in uh, and these creatures came out of it, uh, George Knapp, who is the reporter at that station, uh, who did the story like live, not live, but live on the air after the fact, he said that the one guy, they're having a hard time getting back with these people and getting a further interview. Okay. But uh, he said that the one guy said this thing got into a front loader in his property and looked like it was messing with the controls. Oh, jeez. Yeah, it had a big freaking bucket loader. Uh, a payloader mm. uh, on their property. They must be in the construction business, and they had a big lot behind the house. I did see that in the drone footage. Definitely yeah, a big and, lot with some heavy equipment back there. So eight, ten feet tall. Mm. What the? I mean, that that blows out of the water the little gray aliens, you know? Yeah, I don't I don't know what to think of this, but uh, it is pretty cool with the— uh, the footage and the fact that it was seen across all these different states. And then, you know, but there is only one family. They do seem sincere. The police say that they seem sincere. Um, yeah. That called 911 and reported the creatures in the yard. And they do go on in the article to talk about what a big offense it is to call 911 with something fake. Yeah. You know, especially out there in Vegas. It's a big deal. Like, you don't do it. Oh, listen, Kev, you're not going to. I'm not going to do that. I'm not calling and and inviting the police over to my house to tell them some story. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's no money in that. I mean, what what's the purpose? Are you saying you would do it if there was money in it? <laughs> <laughs> just checking. Just checking. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I mean, and then this thing left. Uh, I I wish somebody would have seen the thing lift off. We have no description of the craft given at all. No, and that's that's a little weird because it's like the craft crashed, right? I mean, mm-hmm. they don't literally say that, but it feels that way. Mm-hmm. And then there's no real mark, and the craft's not there. Yeah, so, other than these concentric rings, which is basically a ring inside of a ring. Right. 
uh, you can kind of see them. Uh, I don't. I don't know. I don't know what to make of it. It's a real odd thing, you yeah, know. Agree. And George Knapp, of course, reporting on it. That's right in his wheelhouse. Uh, by the way, Knapp was the first one that brought to my attention uh, the Bigelow oh, yeah. and governmental team working on Skinwalker and the high strangeness that was going on around there. I'd never heard of the place before Knapp talked about it on uh, Coast to Coast. Yeah. So, uh, you know, uh, I, I don't I don't know what to make of all of that. Just very freaky deaky. Yeah. Whew. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, we'll try to keep an eye on it. I don't know what else could come of it other than what we've heard and what we just uh, kind of reported on. Yeah, I mean, it definitely qualifies as cryptids in the news and other oddities. <laughs> so I couldn't pass this one up, though. Yeah, and the one guy, he said he saw the belly going in and out like when it was breathing. Yeah, yeah. So that's a little bit of a detail, you know. And he, he emphasized big mouths like me. <laughs> they, had, <laughs> they had big mouths and big shiny eyes. That sounded to me, I was thinking it's a giant gecko from the insurance commercials. <laughs> Instead of a tiny one, a giant one. Yeah, giant gecko in a sailboat on the lake. Okay, I can come in now. Okay, I'm ready to come in. <laughs> wow. Well, that is definitely freaky deaky, Kev. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's that's <coughs> what we got this week, Bill. What kind of account do you have for us? Well, I have something uh, really interesting here, and. Uh, one of the cool things about this, Kev, it comes from the year I was born. Ooh. Yeah, so uh, this was told to me by a fellow named Abe Silverman who came from the greater Chicago area. Now, he and his friends had gone to do a little fishing, and you might say they caught something they weren't expecting. Ooh. Yeah, this is uh, Abe's account. So in 1958, when my friends and I headed back up north to an area by Sulfide Lake in northern Saskatchewan, we had been to this camp in Medora before, but the last time it was for a moose hunt, and this time around we were sampling the fantastic fishing in the area. Reminds you of something, Kev? <laughs> the, uh, my account, The Fight? Yeah. When those guys were musky fishing on well, the lake. Well, I mean, we see a lot of accounts, Bill, that are related to water, rural areas, mountainous areas, all three of them together, and then people doing outdoorsy things like fishing, right? Yeah. All the time. Yeah, all the time. So so this time, uh, the, well, he said that the only way in and out of this location was by a float plane, which was the same with the fight, which was quite the thrill for a couple of city guys like us and was an extremely expensive undertaking back in 58. We would be staying in a traditional log cabin equipped with a propane stove and a refrigerator. There was quick freezing uh, and ice available and we were responsible to bring a bedroll and our own groceries. 
15 bucks a day for everyone. Bought you a cabin, boat, motor, and guide, with flying being the only additional fee. And he says, I think it cost around 35 bucks at the time for the plane ride. Just as a point of amusement, when we had gone for Moose several years back, it was $300 a week per person, including an all-day wilderness guide, and that was if you bagged a moose. If you hadn't got a moose, the price was reduced to $250 a week. And then Abe goes on to say it's funny to look back on, considering that this type of trip today would be at least seven grand. It is, it is kind of odd that he points that out. Yeah. Uh, the fish that this area boasts, boasts about are walleye, northerns, rainbows, and lake trout. He says, man, oh, man, are the fish big and beautiful up there, and every day we were up early and fishing the lake. Our tackle mainly consisted of light spinning gear and spoons, and we found that red and white was the most productive pattern. We also were occasionally using some top water plugs for a little surface action, but with the spoons, we literally took one fish after another, and it didn't matter at all where we went on the lake. The fishing was incredible, and we were landing some trout that were well over 30 inches in length, and the fight on light tackle was outstanding. So we got into this conversation being a couple of fishermen. It was kind of neat to uh, hear. So he says, on the third or fourth day of fishing, our guide recommended that we take a little Hmm. boat ride to the northeast section of the lake in order to check out the action in that area. As we rounded a bend in the shore, the guide pointed out what he believed to be a moose swimming across the lake. Now, we city boys didn't even know that moose could swim, but there it was, or so we thought. He moved a little closer and then stopped the motor so as not to frighten it. This creature was about 150 yards from where it had presumably entered the water, and it was still at least 400 yards from where it seemed to be heading. Now, that's a fairly good swim in anyone's book. I, I would say that we were about 200 yards away from it when he stopped the engine, and there we sat watching. There was no wind and no current in the water, but there was visibly a large wake emanating from behind this large dark head that protruded over the top of the lake as the animal swam. We were mesmerized by the sight. The animal then came into some shallow water, where where now that it was able to touch the lake's bottom, and it began walking. But as the body came into view, it was not that of a cow moose at all. In fact, it wasn't even walking on four legs. It was of human-like stature. It was then that we realized that it was also turning its head towards us from time to time. 
Now, a little bit into the walk, the water must have become deeper again, and it began to swim. It wasn't until it was maybe only 20 or 30 feet from the lake's edge that it had completely emerged from the water and turned its head to look at us one last time before walking into the woods. When I tell you that we were absolutely blown away by what we saw, that is an understatement. Our guide was scratching his head in disbelief, saying that he couldn't believe that we had just seen a Sasquatch, which is what the local population had always called these things, but he had never believed in them before. We could see a couple of depressions. Now, they went over by the shoreline, and he said we could see a couple of depressions on the shore from its feet, but we were not going to go any closer to get a better look at them. Can't blame him for that. Yeah. It, it looked like a hairy human, but its bodily dimensions were staggering. There was only a very narrow shoreline where it, had, where it had come out of the lake, if you could even call it a shoreline. At best, it was maybe six feet wide, and this thing's body had been about as thick from front to back as the shore was wide. And judging the height of the tree branches, it must have been at least 10 feet tall. There was one wet footprint right at the edge of the water and a second just shy of the brush, which made its stride about five or six feet long. It didn't even stop to catch its breath after swimming what must have been about 600 yards. Having simply emerged from the water, it began walking away in casual, in a casual, matter-of-fact type of manner. Why it would swim the lake rather than walk around is anyone's guess. It was difficult to see in great detail during such a short time, but from our viewpoint, it seemed completely covered in dark hair. I saw nothing to indicate white skin on the face or anywhere else on its body. And in my opinion, the legs were shorter than the upper body. Its arms were so long that its hands swung below the knee. Even though we only saw it walk briefly, it appeared kind of wobbly at the knees, or maybe it had a knock-knee deformity. Very hard to judge either way. We headed back to the cabin in the boat, and we could not stop talking about the experience. It was certainly something that none of us will ever forget. What do you make of that, Kev? Wow. Kind of strange, huh? Bigfoot swimming. Yeah. Six you know what it makes me think of, though, Bill? When I was up, you know, probably four years ago now, in western Alaska, and we went out there camping to see uh, the, the uh, they call them brown bears, but grizzly bears to us in uh, their natural habitat out there where they don't see humans too much at all. Like we had to fly in on a bush plane. There weren't many folks there, you know, maybe a dozen 
uh, stayed for a few nights, and we would see them. And in this particular area where we were, out on the uh, western part of the Kenai, or across from the Kenai Peninsula, out by those couple of big volcanoes, I'm, t- I'm trying to think of the name of the forest there. But anyway, so I, we were out there, and um, the, the geography was such that there was a tidal kind of river, uh, on the inside of where we were camping, and uh, the grizzlies would be in there fishing all the time, right? Because the salmon mm-hmm. would be in the shallow water, and and, and they would it was easier for them to catch them, right? You'd see them run along and jump on them, and, mm-hmm. and grab them, pick them up in their mouth. But then on the other side of the area we were camping was the sound, <coughs> you know, kind of the the uh, large area of water, you know, miles and miles across. And we would see the bears go out once in a while into the sound and jump in the water and go for a swim, but not go anywhere, and then come back out. And I was asking the guide, like, what are these grizzlies up to? And he said, they're just cooling off. He's like, just kind know, of they get like hot, tr- and they go in the uh, sound and go for a little swim. And it did look like they were kind of horsing around playing, you know, just cooling off. Um, so maybe maybe Bigfoot was cooling off a little bit. Yeah, and it makes sense. Just getting clean, too. Might have been getting a little bit of the stink off. The stink. You know, that uh, forest up there by the Kenai, Kevin, it's called the Chugash. Chugash. Ah. C-H-U-G-A-C-H. I think it's Chugash. Everybody's always correcting us when we talk, you know. Well, yeah. couple of uh, New Yorker and a transplant. (laughs) You know, like... uh, Ah, yeah, what you got there is your uh, Kenai Peninsula, all right? A <laughs> couple of grizzly bears, you know? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I, and what I was thinking of is different. So it's across the way. It's the Lake Clark National Park and Preserve. Oh, okay. So it's across that body of water there. Um, yours is like right on the Kenai. And I'm trying to see what the heck this place is called. Oh, the Cook Cook Inlet, I guess, across from the Cook Inlet. Okay. Which is like a pretty big sound. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. And, and definitely uh, that whole area up there, I mean, you could pick spots here, there, and everywhere. That place is rife with sightings and encounters. Oh, yeah. Super rural. Yeah. I mean, let's face it, like... Everybody has said before me, anything that can support a bear population uh, can support uh, a Bigfoot or moose or anything else. Yeah, plenty of food up there. I mean, when I was amazed, of course, not, you know, in the wintertime, the bears are sleeping. Maybe the Bigfoot are, too. Um, but they, uh, you know, they eat the uh, this plant, high-protein plant called sedge that's kind of mm-hmm. everywhere. It's kind of like I like a grass, but uh, we actually tried it. Our guide told us to eat some of us, some of it. It wasn't bad, kind of mm-hmm. like a kale or something. They eat that, and then the salmon are everywhere. So mm-hmm. between the kale and the salmon, they're like, that's, and that's why, you know, small groups of people can go up there and not get hurt because the bear, they don't even know people, and they're so well-fed, they're not really interested, you know. Or so they say. Well, yeah. <laughs> we did have, really. they were cooking bacon one morning uh-huh. in the camp, and I was like, uh, you know, me being more of a uh, domestic camper, you know, from yeah. uh, 
uh, less rural places than that. Um, I was like, man, is this a good idea with these giant bears around? And a bear came walking right by the side of the camp, didn't even give a sniff, because apparently, like, he didn't even know what bacon was, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, if he had had a couple of bites of bacon, he probably would have torn down a tent or two, but he's like, "Eh, I don't know what that is. (laughs) Now, I have to tell you, I I know of a couple of guys that actually... Uh, sizzle and pan fry some bacon bear hunting to attract them. Yeah, but that's so where the I, bears know. I mean, like, I guess so. When I've camped in Yosemite, for example, like they know. I mean, they know what a can of beer smells like there. You know, they're, yeah. they're like, hey, yeah. what do you got there? Is that Pabst Blue Ribbon? Hey, throw <laughs> me one of those. Pabst. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I smell some uh, tortilla chips. You got guac with that or salsa? <laughs> You don't mind of, if I sit down here, do is you? Is it mild or spicy? Because I don't really <laughs> like the spicy stuff. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, so interesting. And I'm, only, I'm only slightly exaggerating in Yosemite. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, not exaggerating at all, I wouldn't say. <laughs> How about these guys? So uh, Abe estimates... By where it must have come from when it entered the water prior to them seeing it, that this thing swam 600 yards yeah, and exited the water like, you know, I mean, first of all, I couldn't swim 600 yards, but if I got out of the water, I think I'd just collapse on the shore or maybe in the shallows for a half an hour. Whoa, that sounds exhausting, Bill. Yeah, incredible, though, right? The 600-yard swim, they think it's a moose sticking its head out of the water, and then they realize, hey, that ain't no moose. And I, I could definitely visualize that. When the, when you were reading the account, I was thinking, like, yeah, I would think that's a moose going across, too. And then you get a little closer, and you're like, whoa. And by the way, a 600-yard swim in fresh water. Whoa, that's really hard. Yeah, and uh, who knows? Like the guy said, why it didn't walk around the lake kind of puzzled him, you know, just going for a swim or who knows. Uh, I think he was cooling off, Bill. You know, I you may recall when I was up in Alaska out in uh, the western Kenai there, we saw some big, what we would call grizzlies, they call brown bear, jumping into the sound not fishing, not clamming, just swimming and not to go anywhere. Like they would jump in off the beach, swim around for five minutes and get out. And our guide was telling us they do, they do it to cool off. It makes sense, right? They get hot, they're covered in fur. Yeah, maybe to get a little bit of the stank off, too. <laughs> <laughs> a little bear. <laughs> little bear stank. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so what do we have in our listener mail today, Kev? Yeah, we we got some good emails this week, Bill. Uh, The first one comes in from John in North Carolina, or as we like to say, North Kakalaki. (laughs) And he says, hey, Bill and Kevin, I love the podcast. I wanted to get an email address for you guys. Because I have some pictures, and I have a hard time sending pictures to your website. All right. I'd like for you guys to look at and see what you think. There is one that might be a footprint and a few tree breaks. They're all from North Carolina. 
The possible footprint is from Davie County near Yadkin River, and the tree breaks are from Montgomery County in the Yawari Wilderness. Mm. Um, I also have some family stories from Montgomery County and Stanley County if you're interested. And, Bill, since you hear from so many people, I'd like to find out if you have any interesting Bigfoot encounters from Montgomery, Stanley, or Davie County in North Carolina. Yeah, well, you know, I have, uh, first of all, the uh, I sent him out my own uh, email. Uh, there seems okay. to be a little bit of a snafu sending stuff to, through the website email as far as PDFs or pictures or yep. whatnot. Uh, but if you if anybody out there uh, needs that, I'm happy to offer it up to you. Uh, as, yep. as far as my recollection by county, I couldn't tell you. Nothing comes to my mind as far as uh, uh, the counties that he named. What are you saying, Bill? You need some help with your North Carolina geography? Yeah, yeah. I'm lucky I can remember <laughs> the stories. But uh, when people prompt me, with certain things about encounters, they kind of come back into my memory, you know. But there's sure. so many. Uh, it's ridiculous for me to try to place uh, persons and encounters to specific, you know, geographic locations. No, nah, it's all Yeah, good. but, uh, all good. yeah, it's interesting. So I, I have a call out. Uh, I have this fellow's number, and uh, I'm going to give him a shout and uh, see if we can't get together on gathering some information. All right. All right. Thanks for writing in, too, John, fellow North Carolinian. Mm -hmm. You know, watch out for that Bigfoot out there. <laughs> and then Joan writes in. Joan doesn't say where she's from, but she uh, writes in and says, I really enjoy your podcast. Also, WJ, I like hearing that you're a Christian. I believe that is important. I have a theory that a Sasquatch is left over from biblical days. That it's a Nephilim. Did I say that right, Bill? It's a Nephilim. Nephilim, sorry. Not sure if anyone has addressed this theory or not. Mm -hmm. I can't wrap my head around the fact that something so large as a Sasquatch can exist. I know elephants, giraffes, and whales do. But hearing stories from people, they must exist. Mm -hmm. Just wondering what you think about that idea. Well, Bill, you are by far the expert on this podcast. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> the thing is, uh, first of all, in my own life, the biblical narrative is not a handbook for everything that exists in the universe. We're, we're given a certain amount of data uh, and my main concern is what happened in the New Testament. But the Nephilim are the offspring of the biblical narrative, which states that the sons of God, which are uh, speaks of angels, the fallen angels, in some way were able to have... Uh, relations with some of the daughters of men. So we're talking angels and and humans. Now whether mm. that was an act of rape, uh we don't we don't know what that was, but the offspring of them was said to be the Nephilim or giants. Now we know that I believe it was Joshua had said sent some scouts out 
into a land that they were going to, let's just say, invade or take over. And the scouts came back and said that there were giants. Uh, no dimensions were given, but the word giants was used. And we know all about uh, David and Goliath and Goliath's uh, brothers. Uh, there were some big dudes around. I, I, but listen, I don't want to go on about this. I don't think Bigfoot has anything to do with the Nephilim at all. All right. Well, there you go. Okay, so let's leave it at that. I think Bigfoot is a separate creation. And you know, Kev, that I think there's two things going on with Bigfoot. One flesh flesh and blood and the other, let's just say, of a supernatural uh, creation. 100%. Yeah. All right. All right. Our last email bill comes in from Tyler. And the subject is Bigfoot Conference. So, folks, I will say first, we don't know Tyler. We've never been to this conference. But he's asking us to do him a favor and give a shout-out on the conference. And Tyler writes, hello, I'm an admin from New Brunswick, Canada, from the New Brunswick Bigfoot Organization. And I'm reaching out asking if you could give our conference a shout-out on your podcast. We're having our first Bigfoot conference on the east coast of Canada in July. We call our four provinces the Maritimes, and they include New Brunswick, Nova Scotia, Prince Edward Island, and Newfoundland, Labrador. We've gathered 90, en 90 encounters in total from all of these provinces. We're holding our conference on July 8th, so mark your calendar, folks, July 8th, in a place called Sackville, New Brunswick, and it starts at 12 noon. The provincial park we are holding the conference in is called Beach Hill Park, two E's, B-E-E-C-H, Beach Hill Park, and they've offered us uh, to tent and stay overnight if we would like to. Uh, this, is a, this is all a free event. And he says that uh, campfire, nighttime Bigfoot walk, and uh, there have even been three different encounters in the area with the most recent one in uh, 2021. So appreciate all the help and keep up the great work on your podcasts. Thank you, Tyler. Bill? Bill, can you hear me? Can you hear me, Kev? Now oh, I can. I don't know what happened there, folks. A little glitch in our uh, our uh, Skype, which happens which happens frequently, Kev, right? All good. I'm glad you're back. Yeah, no, I'm here. <laughs> I was just saying to Tyler that I'd like for him to uh, get in touch with me and offer up his phone number. Uh, I have free calling into Canada. So I'd like to speak to him about some of these encounters, uh, if I could. Uh, and if he can't call because it's going to cost him $200, uh, <laughs> I can call. So if he It's all good. It's all good. And by the way, I forgot to mention, Bill, that he says you can find our group on Facebook as the New Brunswick Bigfoot Organization. Mm -hmm. Okay, sounds good. Well, that's it for today, Kev, huh? That's it. So, folks, if you haven't left us a five-star review, 
recently, please do so. And if you want to leave us a written review, uh, as well as the five stars, Bill and I love to read them. We love hearing from you. So thank you so much for listening. Yeah, and remember, folks, if you should find yourself on the Kenai Peninsula, the mountains, North Carolina, Saskatchewan, fishing, you best remember one thing. Always carry more gun than you think you're going to need. Sleep tight. <laughs>